Cornerstone. How you doing? Who came excited about Jesus today? All right. We're in a good place. All right, so we're continuing on with our marriage series. My guess is you've heard of bad dad jokes, but have you heard of bad pastor jokes? All right, brace yourselves. So there's this older couple. He's in the hospital on his deathbed. He's been there for approximately three weeks. His wife has been there day and night for the entire three weeks. She's been there with him. In a moment of clarity, he opens his eyes and he says to his wife, you know, I, I've just been thinking over our life. And, you know, when we were young and I lost my job, you were there with me. And then when I had that horrible car accident and I had to heal and you nursed me back down, you, you just were with me through that entire thing. Later on, when they foreclosed on our house, you were with me. And now here I am on my deathbed and you've been here with me. I'm beginning to think you're bad luck. <laughs> if you and I listen to statisticians, they tell us that about 50% of marriages end in divorce. Add to that the number of couples who are miserable but stay together for the sake of the kids and now that number is even higher. Add to that people who feel guilty about getting a divorce and stay together. We call them Catholics. <laughs> and the number gets even bigger. Which means this thing called marriage has a horrifyingly poor success rate. Here's what I'm wondering. Do you think that's what God intended? When he made a man and a woman, when he created this thing called marriage, was he hoping it would look like what we've made it into? Or isn't the answer that marriage was actually from the heart of God intended to be one of the greatest gifts in our lives, apart from Jesus, maybe the second most important, unbelievable blessing in our lives, and somehow we've managed to make it less a disappointment when God expected it to be one of our greatest joys. And the question would be, how would you and I get back to that original formula, the thing that God intended to be so marvelous, so amazing in our lives? And here's gonna be the answer. In order to be in the type of marriage that God created us to be, you and I are gonna have to learn how to be selfless in marriage. Because it is selfishness that has gotten us off the rails. So here we go, we're gonna go back. Two, peop two people like that, they were the two unselfish people in the room. All right, here we go, we're gonna go back to Genesis, we're gonna go back to that original marriage, see what the formula was that God created, how we messed it up, and then how do we recover this thing. So here we go, Genesis uh, chapter two. This is quite possibly gonna be the easiest verse you'll ever find in the Bible, because it's the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter two, 
Uh, let me set up the moment. Uh, this is at the final stages of creation. For the last six days, every single day, God has been actively creating this world, this universe that you and I enjoy. And at the end of each of the days, it makes this statement. It was good. And then we come to verse 18. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now guys, this is supposed to be a huge moment. That God, in the midst of creation, does he make a mistake right now? Does he have a misstep that for the last six days it has always been good, and now, as he creates Adam, he turns and he says, this is not good. Or is it possible that this is God's plan all along? That his intention is to show Adam something that he would not have known if he had given him Eve from the very start. Matter of fact, the passage goes on and simply says this. It says, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. Is it possible that the reason God doesn't introduce Eve right at the beginning is that he intended for Adam to experience what it was to be without Eve? To be alone. You've heard of kids that grow up and their parents give them everything and then they appreciate nothing. And then you hear about people who grew up with nothing and now they appreciate everything. Is it possible that in this moment the reason God withheld Eve in the beginning was so that Adam would cherish her when he received her? he would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was God's gift to him. And it's interesting because right now God says, hey, I know what I'm gonna do, I know I'm gonna create Eve, but I'm gonna put Adam through an exercise first. And here's what he does. Verse 19, now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds that fly. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So you get the moment. God says, okay, I'm going to have you do this thing. You're going to name the animals. And now God brings the animals in front of Adam, male and female. And so he's naming them. Okay, you're a bull, you're a cow, you're a lion, you're a lioness, you're a goose, and you're a gander. Ladies, if Adam was as slow to catch on as your husband is slow to catch on, how long does it take Adam to go, oh? And let's even imagine it's halfway through. Halfway through, Adam goes, wait, 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 wait. Something's missing in my life. He still has to go through naming the other half of the animals because, you ready for this? God wanted him to feel. He wanted him to experience what it was like without his partner, without Eve. So that when she came, he would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was God's gift to him. And that he would cherish her. 
Back to the passage, verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place in the flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And he's excited. Now, Adam said, man said, this is bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And then you ready? Best verse in the entire Bible. And Adam and his wife were naked, naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, maybe not the best verse, but one of the best verses in the Bible. Am I right, men? This is one of the best. <laughs> Lisa and I have got uh, these dear friends that are in their 70s, and uh, we were hanging out with them a while back. And the husband said to us, in, in the midst of us being together, hey, uh, we've decided that we're never going to get a divorce. I thought to myself, that took you a long time to decide but I didn't say that. I, I said, what brought you to that conclusion? And he said, well, we both have seen each other naked and no one else wants us. <laughs> don't, don't miss what's happening in this passage, okay? When God brings Eve to Adam because he's experienced being alone, he has no doubt in his mind that she is God's gift to him. My guess is that she feels the same way, that she looks at Adam and feels that Adam is God's gift to her. As a matter of fact, Adam is convinced she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. She admires him because she thinks he's the best guy in the world. And what you need to know is, they cherish each other. Their love for one another is absolutely selfless. Adam wakes up every morning and the deepest desire of his heart is to thrill Eve. Eve wakes up every morning and in the deepest desire of her heart is for Adam to feel fulfilled and blessed by her presence. And it is an absolutely selfless relationship. It's selfless until it's not, until it gets screwed up. But here's what you need to know, that to get back to the original marriage, you and I, are gonna have to find a way to be selfless with our spouse. It is absolutely God's desire that every one of us in this room would experience marriage the way that Adam and Eve did before they screwed it up. And then we get to the reason that marriage is broken is because you and me as people are broken. And it all starts with Adam and Eve. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter three, should be probably the next page over. Genesis chapter three, verse 16. Here's what's going on. God then takes Adam and Eve in that perfect, amazing, thrilling marriage. And he says, hey, uh, everything you see, it's yours. You're, you're gonna tend the garden, but it, it all belongs to you with this one exception. There's one tree 
that you cannot eat the fruit of. And immediately something boils up in their heart just like it does in your heart and mine. When someone says, hey, you can't do that, then all of a sudden you and I become fixated and go, well, that's the one thing I think I want to do. And so it was with Adam and Eve. Scripture tells us that Satan came to them in the form of a serpent. Now here's what you need to know. That serpent would not have been scary to them. This is pre-fall. The serpent would have actually been familiar to them, just like all the other animals would have been. Lions didn't eat people. The serpent would have been familiar. When Satan comes to tempt, he always comes in the familiar. See, it's that moment you're sitting there late night just working on your computer. And then you go to the site you shouldn't go to. See, it's, it's being at work and that secretary who you know all well now begins to flirt because temptation comes in the familiar. It's that moment you're hanging with your friends and they all begin to gossip and all of a sudden you think of a really, really juicy tidbit you could throw in because temptation always comes in the familiar. And so Satan says to them, hey, you understand, right? You understand that the reason God has withheld this tree is because God doesn't really have your best intention at heart. See, that's the thing that would most make you happy. That's the thing that would make your life incredibly better. And because God doesn't truly love you, he's withholding that from you. And guys, here's why that's important. Because that's exactly the lie he's told every one of us. Hey, I know God said don't do that, but you know why God said don't do that. Because God doesn't truly love you. Because God doesn't truly care. And he's, he's trying to keep you from the thing that would bring you the most happiness. And we fall for that lie over and over again. And nothing could be further from the truth. So Eve, believing what Satan has said, reaches out, takes the pomegranate or whatever it was, and eats. And immediately life changes. And now God is beginning to tell them, here's what's going to happen. This is the result of you disobeying me. And in this passage, he's talking to Eve. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Ladies, every woman in this room, when she gets to heaven, should have a conversation with Eve. Because apparently before this, women had children and then went to dance class. But not now. It's all a result of the fall. But then look what happens next because what happens next is worse. And then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now here's what you need to know. When God says, hey, your desire is going to be for your husband, this is not sexual desire. Eve already desired Adam. That's part of why that marriage was so amazing, so incredible. When he says you're going to desire your husband, this comes from a place of brokenness. It comes from a place of fear and a place of insecurity that right now Eve is experiencing for the first time in her life because of her disobedience. And what God is saying is this, you're going to desire to control him. You're going to desire to steer him because now your heart is filled with fear that he won't love you 
the way he's been loving you. And so you will desire to do whatever you have to do to steer him in order to take care of your needs. He then says, and your husband's gonna respond by trying to rule over you. And we talk about this idea that men are supposed to be the head of their home. That's not what this is. You aren't called men to be the ruler of your home. You're called to be the leader of your home. And here's what you need to know. Leaders do what they do. They lead for the benefit of those they are leading, even if it means personal sacrifice for them. Let me say that again, men, because this is huge. When God called you to lead your home, the call was that you would lead for the benefit of your wife and your children, even if that called for sacrifice on your part. And men, I'm just telling you, if you would lead that way in that selflessness, your wife would have no problem with you being the head of the home if every decision you made was for her benefit and the benefit of your children, even if it involved Sacrifice. Instead, he says, the heart of a man is going to turn toward trying to rule the home. And here's the problem. Rulers rule for their own benefit. Rulers rule so they can get their own way. And he said, Adam, in now your distrust of Eve, you're going to try to rule this. You're going to say, I'm the authority, I'm the boss, and I'm going to make sure I get what I need to get out of this marriage. And suddenly, selflessness turned to selfishness. See, here's the deal. Since then, every son and daughter of Adam has come to this relationship thinking of ourselves. We, we say this out loud. I found the person who's going to make me happy. Do you understand how self-centered that statement is? No longer is my spouse a God-given gift. I found the one who's gonna make me happy. And what we do is we come to marriage with expectations, with conditions uh, in our hearts. So, some of those conditions are, she's got a view of what the perfect house would be like warm and cozy. He's got a view of what the perfect house would be like. Uh, she's thinking, hey, I, I wanna travel the world. He's thinking, if we got a house like that, why are we traveling? Someone's gotta make a decision about who does the housework and he thinks there's no decision to be made. She wants one child. He wants a basketball team. She's got her idea of what would be the perfect family car. He has his idea of what would be the perfect family car. He's thinking, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna pay cash for everything. She's thinking, I've got so many charge cards. When it, when it comes to holidays, she says, look, uh, I'm willing to share. All I want is Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving. Your family can have the rest. Labor Day, Groundhog Day. 
His idea, hey, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. She doesn't even own a watch. She's thinking, hey, when, uh, when I go to bed, my husband wants me to be comfortable. No, he doesn't. And you realize what we do in this moment is that we come to our spouse with conditions. Conditions we say, look, as long as you perform the way that I want you to perform, as long as you hold up your side of the agreement, then I'm more than happy to be a great spouse back to you as long as you meet my conditions. So she comes to the marriage. And she says, I've already thought this out. I've already decided what the perfect husband would do for me. And so as long as you fulfill my expectations, then I'm more than willing to be an amazing wife to you. And she measures him by how well he does this. He does the same thing. He's already come up with his list. And so he says, hey, I'm, I'm in. I mean, I want to be a great husband. But you understand, me being a great husband is conditional because I am measuring our marriage based on how well you meet my conditions. And as long as you do that, I'll be a great husband to you. You realize what this is, right? This is contractual marriage. This is, I will be the spouse you want me to be if you're the spouse I want you to be. It's a if-then relationship. If you do this, then I'll do my part. If you do the housework, I'll pick up the dog poop. If you stay within five pounds of your present weight, I'll let you go shopping. If you give me cookies, I'll do the yard work. If you give me cookies, I'll carry out the trash. I'll let you decide what cookies means. But you understand, right? This is, this, is a, this is a contractual relationship. Here's the problem. I guarantee you, your spouse will let you down. And so then we do what anybody would do in a contractual relationship. Hey, wait a minute. You didn't do this, therefore I'm going to retaliate by not doing that. And then our spouse says, wait, 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 wait. I know I didn't do something, but your response was way way bigger than what I didn't do. So if you're going to respond that way, then I'm not going to do this. To which we go, ah, it's not even yet. I'll stop doing this. But then I'm going to withhold. Then I'm going to not. And you understand this becomes a regression that every single time we do this to each other, our marriage gets less. And even if you find some landing point where you go, okay, we have evenly withheld in our marriage. We've evenly drawn back away from each other. That marriage will be disappointing. It'll be less than what God intended because we were enforcing the contract with each other. And guys, think about this. Every divorce you've ever seen, breach of contract. 
She didn't, he didn't. She didn't make me happy, he didn't make, she didn't listen. Every divorce, breach of contract. This is how we've screwed it up. And guys, I'm just telling you, if we keep doing this, then we're gonna look like everybody else's marriage. And it will be so much less than what God offered us if we keep coming to marriage selfishly. So then the big question comes, well, what would it look like? How, how do you get back to that original formula? How do you get back to that relationship that Adam and Eve had before they screwed it up? I'm glad you asked. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. And if you're not familiar, go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. You're going to find this book of Ephesians. If you've been coming every week, we've been spending our time in Ephesians chapter 5. And each time we read Ephesians chapter 5, we skipped quickly over the first verse. And the first verse is actually the key to having a selfless marriage. It's Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. And you understand what submitting is. Submitting is taking something and placing it underneath something else. By choice. So here's how this happens. First off, you and I have to take the contract and rip that sucker up. I am no longer going to hold my affection to you based on the conditions of how you perform for me. I'm no longer going to offer you love if you perform. Instead, I'm going to offer you unconditional love. And I, I know, I know, I know. You're going, Lynn, wait, 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 we're human beings. And God can do unconditional love, but I'm not sure human beings can Yes, you can. You know why I know you can? Because you offer unconditional love to your children. I mean, think about it. That little puppy comes out. All he's doing is pooping and keeping you awake all night. And you don't go, hey, take him back to sender. You don't ever go to your child and go, all right, all right, that's nine times. I've asked you to clean your room, and you haven't done it. Come with me. We're taking you to the corner. Maybe some other family wants a loser like you. We offer our kids unconditional love. We, we, no matter how they perform or what they would do. Matter of fact, in their weakest moments, in their moments when they do their worst, we lean in the most. Why is it, think about this, why is it that we would offer our children unconditional love and we would withhold unconditional love from our spouse? You know why? Because we came with conditions. You understand, this is what freaks children out when we get a divorce. Because here's what we say to our kids that makes no sense. Hey, you know mommy and daddy are always going to love you. But mommy and daddy fell out of love. And there is no child's mind who can process that. Because they've never learned something as stupid as conditional love. And they're saying, wait a minute, if you can fall out of love with daddy, if daddy can fall out of love with you, how do I? And they live in constant fear. Because the reality was, we didn't have the honor to offer our spouse the same kind of love that we intuitively offered to our children. 
And so it says to us, submit. Something has to come underneath something else. And that something is the expectations and conditions that we brought to the relationship. See, what it takes is a husband who says, hey, look, here's the deal. From this day forward, I'm not going to measure you by your performance. I'm taking expectations off the table. It doesn't mean that I still don't desire those things and, and don't like those things. I'm just simply choosing that now they're going to be hopes. And I will not measure you based on your performance. I will love you and cherish you. Period. It takes a wife who says, hey, I'm, I'm going to take all these conditions off the table. I'm, I'm still hoping, I'm still hoping that some of those can be true. But I'm not going to offer you my love based on whether or not you meet my expectations. Because, you ready for this? I'm going to take my expectations and submit them under yours. I, I'm going I'm to make you the gift of God that you are. And I'm going to cherish you, which means for a husband to say, I, I'm going to turn my focus away from what I was measuring our relationship by. And now I'm going to focus on what fulfills your heart. It's a husband saying, I want to be God's gift to you. And I know one of your greatest joys is traveling. So we're going to figure that out. I want to give that to you because I cherish you. And even though that's not my greatest joy, I will selflessly bring that to you. I know the family automobile you were thinking about and doesn't look like the one I was thinking about but I want to be God's gift to you and so I choose to selfish, selflessly offer to you that you would know by the love I express to you how deeply God loves you because he gave me to you it's a wife who says hey I I wasn't thinking about a house like that and the mortgage that comes along with it, but if that fulfills your dreams, because I want to be God's blessing in your life. It's two people deciding that my interests and my needs will be submitted to what brings my spouse joy. It's selfless love. And here's what I'm wondering. What if you and I today made a covenant together? What if you and I today promised ourselves and promised God that for 30 days we would live selfless marriage? That we would literally just say, I'm going to take my interests, I'm going to take my conditions, I'm going to stop focusing, I'm going to set them behind, let them be hopes. And I am literally going to spend 30 days trying to bring joy to my spouse, to make them thrilled every single day that I was God's gift to them.
Guys, I'm just telling you, our marriage would be different. The world would be surprised. Our children would be amazed if we would do selfless marriage. Let's pray. Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, we're just gonna tell you from the beginning, man, we have screwed this up. We've come to marriage with all of our fears and all of our insecurities. And out of that, we felt the need to manipulate and force our spouse to do what we wanted them to do. We've been selfish. And in doing that, we've stopped being your gift to them. And so God, today, we just, we just choose to take all those conditions, all those expectations off the table, to turn them into hopes, but to not withhold our hearts from our spouse because they don't meet them. And from this day forward to simply say, I'm gonna bless my spouse. I, I want my spouse to wake up every day thrilled to be married to me, thankful that I was God's gift to them. God, give us the courage to do this for the next 30 days. Give us the courage to do this the rest of our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name.